Uh, the reading of the scriptures this morning is from Psalm 20, uh, reading the entire psalm, verses 1 to 9. So I invite your uh, reverent attention, uh, hearing in faith uh, the living word of God here in Psalm 20. To the choir master, a psalm of David. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt off sacrifices. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and shall stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. Uh, I suspect if there was a uh, survey done of all Christians with a single question, do you pray enough, I, I have this suspicion that most people would say, no, I, I don't nearly pray enough. Don't pray uh, as I should. Uh, and so this morning we're going to look at uh, uh, necessity of prayer and some examples of prayer, and the reasons we should pray, uh, so that perhaps uh, if we were surveyed the following month, we might acknowledge that we prayed a bit more. I think that's the point of uh, the psalm this morning, uh, because it is a uh, prayer for protection uh, in confidence that God will answer uh, with victory. And that's one of the greatest reasons, uh, I think, of all time to pray that in our Christian uh, lives uh, we would uh, be victorious. This is a, uh, it's a royal psalm because it deals uh, with kingship. Now, in this case, King David, uh, if you look at uh, uh, verse 6, uh, reference to God's anointed, that's why I think it's a, a psalm that... Uh, speaks of David, notwithstanding his authorship of the psalm. Uh, the, the context is one of the most powerful reasons to pray uh, in terms of application, uh, and that is uh, uh, David uh, and his kingdom are on the eve of battle. Uh, I suppose even pagans pray on the eve of battle. A terrifying notion of... Uh, of uh, going uh, to war, uh, perhaps uh, losing your life, uh, never to return physically. It's a powerful reason to pray. It really establishes, I think, the necessity of, of prayer. In this case, with respect to David's physical, uh, physical warfare, uh, in some manner or form, uh, he is in the uh, life of his kingdom, in the period of expansion of the boundaries of the kingdom, does not really relate to us, but we are, of course, spiritually always laboring for the expansion 
of the spiritual kingdom uh, in which we live. So it's the eve of battle. Uh, for us, the eve of battle is every day. Every day we are at war. Uh, we'll look at that in a moment, but uh, that is uh, the call to prayer that is, uh, is before us. David is going to the tabernacle to pray uh, and to offer sacrifices. And while he is there in verses uh, 1 to 5, the congregation uh, prays on his behalf. Uh, he acknowledges, uh, verses 6 to 8, that God will answer the prayer with victory. Uh, and then uh, the psalm closes with the congregation praying again, verse 9. Uh, I remember a number of years ago uh, speaking with my uh, aunt, my father's uh, sister, uh, who was a young adult during the Second World War. That She said very, very often that you would hear churches issuing a call to prayer because of the eve of the great battle or because of great battle was ongoing. Uh, churches would be filled praying. You think about it, we are in the midst of the greatest battle of all time. Uh, our, our churches issuing calls to prayer. I mean, the Muslims issue calls to prayer, what, five times a day? Uh, I, I would think that our call to prayer is incessant. It's never-ending. Paul, Apostle Paul says, pray without ceasing. We should never leave off praying because, again, of uh, the necessity uh, given uh, the nature of the warfare for which we are engaged. Uh, let's look at the, uh, the call to prayer, verses 1 to 5. Uh, it's the eve of battle. Uh, David is uh, going to step upon the field of battle. Uh, I would tell you that uh, every day is, a, is uh, the day of battle for us as Christians. Every day. Uh, we uh, are yet to live uh, in a world in which is totally at peace with the kingdom of God because the kingdom of this world is at war with us every day. Every minute, every hour, every second, uh, we are engaged uh, in battle, and therefore there is a continual call to prayer. Verses 1 to 5, the congregation prays for safety for their king and his army. The content of the prayer is uh, uh, fivefold. Uh, first, that uh, God would answer with victory in the day of trouble. Verse 1 uh, of uh, the psalm in the English Bible. The word for trouble has the idea of something that is narrow or confining. In this case, trouble caused by the enemy. It's interesting that the Greek translation of the Old Testament reads uh, the day of trouble, the day of tribulation. Well, that's our day. We are in the day of trouble. And so it's a call to prayer for all of us uh, in the church. Uh, the tribulation is about us. Uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, unrelenting tribulation. Uh, it's my own belief, as you know, in terms of the doctrine of future things, that the church is going through the tribulation. And so there should be incessant, repetitive calls to prayer because of the nature of the danger. Uh, the specific answer to the prayer is uh, the second half uh, of uh, the verse. Uh, May the name of the God of Jacob set you securely on high. 
Uh, it is a military principle, generally, usually, most of the time, if not all of the time, that he who controls the high ground wins the battle. Uh, so may the God of Jacob set you securely on high. Uh, I remember a number of years ago that uh, my family and I were vacationing in Fredericksburg, Virginia. There was a famous Civil War battle uh, fought there uh, called Marie's Heights. You go and you stand where the Confederate Army stood on the top of Marie's Heights, and you almost pitied the Union soldiers who were going to have to fight uphill. It's a difficult job to fight uphill. Uh, and that is the point. Set David on high. Set us on high ground. So in that sense, the, uh, the prayer is to make him inaccessible to the enemy. Uh, surrounded uh, by the dangers of, uh, of uh, contemporary battle, uh, we are always accessible to the enemy, so we should uh, pray all the more. We should pray all the more in light of uh, the danger about us. Uh, second aspect of the prayer, verse 2, may he send you help from the sanctuary and support you from Zion. It's an appeal for military assistance uh, by the presence of God. I'm reminded of uh, the words of the Apostle Paul, Galatians chapter 4, and uh, verse 26. The Jerusalem above is our mother. Uh, mothers have an incredible bondage with their children uh, in their early years. Mothers are a first line of defense. Uh, our mother is Jerusalem. She is on high. In that sense, our Jerusalem is inaccessible to the enemy. Uh, our mother Jerusalem owns the high ground. Uh, she is in the heavenlies. Uh, as our mother, she watches over us with tender and compassionate care. Of course, we don't pray to our mother. Uh, in that sense, it's a figure of speech, uh, but we pray to the God of Jerusalem who will make us uh, and protect us uh, from the wiles of uh, Satan. Uh, there is uh, uh, an application of this in the 91st Psalm. If you look at Psalm 91, 91 and verse 11, uh, the psalmist is uh, praying for safety, and then he gives a reason, one of the reasons that we would be made safe. Psalm 91.11, for he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. Uh, we pray to the God of heaven that he might dispatch the forces of angels uh, to keep us safe. Uh, again, uh, in that sense, it's a, it's a prayer for those engaged in battle uh, that God would uh, send logistical help. Uh, Jerusalem above is our logistical help. Uh, that God would send support troops to aid us in the battle. In our case, the forces of angels uh, are dispatched to guard and to protect us. It's very interesting to me if you've ever, and, and I suspect most of you have not for obvious reasons, but if you've ever studied uh, uh, American uh, warfare uh, forces, uh, the vast majority of them are engaged logistically. Uh, I don't know what the exact ratio is, probably 10 to 1. Uh, but 
but the vast majority of our forces uh, are logisticians uh, engaged in supplying uh, frontline soldiers or aircraft or naval vessels. Uh, in that sense, we ask the God who is the God of uh, Jerusalem to dispatch logistical help to aid us in the unrelenting constancy of our battle. Thirdly, uh, may he remember your offerings and find your burnt offerings acceptable. Uh, David comes uh, uh, to the temple as a supplicant uh, to make offerings uh, before the fight. And he wants God to remember his service. Uh, he consecrates himself for battle. It's not so much in the act of making sacrifices, uh, but in the faith and obedience uh, to engage sacrificial uh, work uh, that God would remember him. And again, these are acts of consecration uh, for the successful prosecution of holy war. Uh, the battle was to expand the kingdom. Uh, our battle is to do so spiritually for the glory of God. We too engage in uh, acts of consecration. Uh, Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. In the Old Testament, uh, they brought grain offerings. They brought burnt offerings. Uh, all types of offerings. In the New Testament, we're the offering we offer ourselves in consecration for battle, uh, for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Uh, fourthly, uh, verse 4, may he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your counsel. Uh, I, I take this as a reference to the battle plans, uh, the means that David is going to use to uh, execute battle, and of course the end state. What's the battlefield going to look like uh, after the campaign has been, been waged? Uh, so he commits it all uh, to the glory of God, uh, that God, in this call to prayer uh, by the congregation on behalf of the king, uh, that the battlefield would uh, look victorious. Uh, something of this in Psalm 33.10. Uh, the Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord uh, stands forever. Uh, the plans of his heart from generation to generation speak to the essence of the battle, uh, that God would frustrate the plans uh, the movements of our great enemy, Satan. Uh, only he can do that. That's why we pray only to him that he would frustrate the satanic kingdom, uh, that he would render uh, the counsel, the designs, the movements uh, of all of his angelic forces uh, to be nullified as they, as they come against us uh, because God alone is sovereign. Again, the call to prayer is based, of course, upon the sovereignty of God, uh, that he governs all men and nations, armies and navies and air forces, and, of course, even the spiritual forces in the heavenly realm. If he didn't, we would be in a bad way. But he is, and so we are in a good way, uh, that he, he controls 
uh, every aspect of the battlefield uh, so we can pray confidently as the congregation is uh, praying confidently uh, for David uh, to be victorious. But again, the notion of prayer, the importance of prayer. Uh, when I was, uh, forgive me for telling old stories, but when I was in the army, uh, there were very sophisticated communication systems. Uh, if you were to absent communication systems uh, from army forces, they would be terrified to go into battle because they would have no access, for example, to support as in the field artillery. They would have no access whatsoever to headquarters to advise them as to what was happening and who was coming against them. Uh, think of police officers uh, who go to make our, our, uh, our streets safe. Last time I checked, at least on television, all of them have communications. Imagine a police officer going to keep our streets safe without a radio. I suspect he or she would be terrified. Well, you and I, spiritually speaking, have a communication system. It is called prayer, and we pray to the God of heaven. And it speaks to the necessity of prayer because of the nature of the warfare that all of us are engaged in. And we are praying, of course, uh, that God would advance the causes of Jesus Christ. And we are praying that God would protect us from evil and nullify the counsel of wickedness that is arrayed against us. Uh, lastly, the congregation, as they are praying over uh, David, uh, pray uh, in confidence uh, for victory. Uh, verse 5, we will sing for joy over your victory. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Uh, the phrase uh, sing for joy is the shrill uh, sounds of uh, singing made by the receiving party as the king returns from the battle. Overjoyed at the victory. Uh, much akin to the uh, joy that we had last Sunday singing the great Easter hymns because the victory of the Savior over death uh, solidifies uh, our victory. Uh, it's one of the necessities of prayer. It's one of the reasons we have an efficient call to prayer is because the victory won for us by Christ. Uh, the battle uh, streamers here are commemorative of the victory. Uh, if, if you ever go, in, in terms of the Army, I can't speak to the uh, Navy, the Air Force, uh, the Marine Corps, but if you ever go into a military unit, eventually there is a... Uh, case of a division, there's the divisional flag. And around that flag are battle streamers for all the battles that division has fought in. And it's the same case uh, as you move down the chain of command. Battle streamers, uh, commemorative of the victory, 
Uh, you and I have a battle streamer in the victory uh, won for us by Jesus Christ upon the cross. Uh, but here, it's a reference to the battle streamers as uh, David returns from the battle, uh, signifying uh, his victory. Uh, and so, uh, in this call to prayer, uh, by the congregation, as uh, David goes to the temple, uh, to pray should have, really must have, a profound application in our own lives in terms of congregational prayer, individual prayer, uh, that, we pray, that we pray for the success of the church, the protection of the church, uh, that we pray in light of the nature of the battlefield. I mean, more and more we're beginning to see that uh, more Christians have died in persecution uh, in the last century than in the entire previous centuries of the life of the church. Incredible warfare, physical battle being waged against the church. Uh, people, children, men and women being killed because of their faith. So should you pray for the church? I think so. Uh, should you pray for the members of this church? I think so. Uh, while we are not, I think, a directly confronting physical persecution, there is without a doubt, without a question whatsoever, that we are facing constant, unrelenting spiritual persecution. Uh, because make no mistake about it, the designs of the kingdom of evil is to destroy us spiritually. Uh, and so, and so we should pray. Uh, verses 6 to 8, David responds in confident uh, expectation of victory. Uh, notice the text. Now I know. Isn't it interesting that he uses the verb know? He doesn't say feel. He doesn't uh, use a modifier like maybe or I hope. He knows that victory is certain. Uh, the content of what he knows is that the Lord saves his anointed. Uh, David has been anointed by God. He has been promised victory, and so that's the point of his knowledge. Uh, our Savior uh, had been consecrated by uh, God. He was certain of victory, and so he was. Uh, you and I have a measure of knowledge that we will be victorious because our Lord uh, was victorious uh, in our place. Uh, again, the Lord saves. Uh, uh, furthermore, he will answer uh, from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his uh, right hand. Uh, speaking of mighty acts of deliverance, the psalmist is. Uh, the adverb mighty is the cognate from which we have the word mighty warrior. Uh, Behind David is the warrior, the great messianic warrior. Uh, and here he saves by his right hand, a figure of speech, uh, anthropomorphism, uh, the power of the right hand of God to effect victory for his people. The saving strength of his right hand. That you and I engage the power of God when we pray. 
If it wasn't for the sovereignty of God, we wouldn't pray. Uh, think about it in terms of the modern-day church. Uh, Grace Bible Church, we believe in the sovereignty of God over everything and everyone. How much more should we be compelled to pray? Uh, all the more we should. Uh, this, again, is a call to prayer. Uh, the congregation is praying for David. David is answering. Uh, behind us, similar case as uh, was with uh, King David, is the great messianic warrior who will triumph, who can do nothing but triumph. It's one of the reasons we pray that, that Christ, the great messianic warrior, has bound the strong man, that the spiritual kingdom might prosper. Uh, if you look at verse 7, uh, there is an important aspect of the battle, namely we, that we boast in the name of the Lord our God. Some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. Uh, soldiers, uh, as you know, use uh, means to prosecute the battle, but the godly warrior, he uses means too, but he, he does not trust in them. Uh, his trust is in God. Uh, again, God has given us a means in accessing our headquarters in heaven. That means is prayer. We have a call to prayer, uh, but we trust uh, in the God who answers prayer. It's exactly what David is doing in verses 68. The means are necessary, but they're not the cause of the victory God is. Uh, there is uh, something of this in uh, Psalm 33, verse 16. The king is not saved by a mighty army. A warrior is not delivered by great strength. A warrior needs a mighty army. A warrior needs strength. Uh, but we need what is behind the army and behind the strength, namely the God of heaven. Verse 17, Psalm 33, a horse is a false hope for victory nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. Horses and chariots are important for the ancient battlefield, but it's behind the horses and the chariots that's the point of the answer of prayer, and it's namely invoking that God would act, that God would work. Uh, reminded of, of the great illustration of this, in David's encounter with Goliath. David tells Goliath, you come to me with a sword and spear and a javelin. Well, those are the means that a soldier uses to prosecute the battle. That's how Goliath is coming after David. David answers, but I come to you in the name of the God of heaven. And then he utters, of course, you know, in that next verse, the great pronouncement of faith, the battle is the Lord's. In our uh, spiritual battles, we recognize that it's really his battle, that we are the means to prosecute the advancement of the spiritual boundaries of the kingdom of God. Uh, and we do so 
by being a people that prays. A people that prays. The last verse describes the end state. The end state of the battlefield that David is going to confront. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stood upright. The, uh, the 21st Psalm is, is really the answer uh, to this prayer. Uh, if you look at uh, Psalm 21 in your Old Testament, verses 1 and 2, O Lord, in thy strength the king will be glad, and in thy salvation how greatly he will rejoice. Thou hast given him his heart's desire, and thou hast not withheld the request of his lips. I look at verse 12. For thou wilt make them turn their back. Thou wilt aim with thy bowstrings at their faces. In other words, uh, the answer to the prayer of Psalm 20 is the 21st Psalm, and the enemy has been routed, and David has been successful. It's one of the reasons we pray. Uh, because uh, our enemy cannot get our souls can harm our bodies, but he cannot harm our souls. That our souls are encased by divine protection from the God of heaven, from the angelic forces that he dispatches to protect us. I mean, if there wasn't a God of heaven, we would never be victorious. If God did not dispatch angels, we would lose every battle we engaged in. Uh, but uh, we... Uh, engage the king of heaven who dispatches his own military forces uh, to guard his people. Thank God uh, that he does. It's a reason, reason we pray. Uh, Psalm 20 is uh, prayer before the battle. Psalm 21 is after the battle and what it looks like. And here uh, we have read that the forces of evil has been routed totally. Uh, we pray because, uh, in like manner, the victory is ours. Uh, has it been totally achieved, uh, but certainly been inaugurated, and the inauguration at the cross is decisive enough to uh, commend us to prayer uh, for success of future battlefields. Uh, it's like the great hymn, Onward, Christian soldiers. That is what we are, and that's why we pray, uh, because of the nature of the battlefield. Uh, hearing this, uh, verse 9, the congregation makes a last petition, save Lord, answer us in the day we call. Uh, we know that the prayer is answered uh, because of Psalm 21. Uh, the particular application of this text is uh, a military battle. The greater application in our lives, as I have made reference to, is the spiritual necessity of the battle that you and I confront every day. We have in Psalm 20 a congregation praying. And so let's look at some other people that pray, some examples of prayer in light of the necessity of the battle. Uh, if you have your uh, 
If you have your New Testaments, you'll turn to John 17. Uh, our anointed one, the Messiah, uh, King David was an agent of God during his kingship. Uh, our agent before God is King Messiah. He prays as well. And he prays confidently, just as confidently, if not much more so than David prayed. Uh, John 17 is uh, a high priestly prayer. Notice, notice the prayer in verses 15 to 17. Uh, Christ is praying, I do not ask thee to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth, thy word is truth. It's the content of our Lord's prayer. Uh, we are not removed from the battle. That's why we pray. The necessity, like it or not, that you and I are in the midst of the battle. That's why the Savior prays, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Think that prayer is answered? Absolutely. The Son of God is praying to his Father. The Father is always going to answer the prayers of his beloved Son. Is the prayer effective? Absolutely. Satan cannot get at our souls. Cannot get at our souls. Let me reaffirm this to you if you are in any doubt whatsoever. Psalm 121, verse 7. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. Uh, your soul cannot be touched by the forces of evil. Uh, they are continually trying to destroy you, but they cannot destroy your soul. Why is that? Because of the victory won for us by the great messianic warrior, Jesus Christ. He cannot harm our souls. Whenever you read in the newspaper that Christians are being killed, as they are being killed all over the world, you can never and will never read that their souls have been destroyed because that is an emphatic impossibility. One of the reasons you should pray is because Christ is the guardian of your soul and the forces of evil cannot get at him and so they cannot get at your souls. It's a reason to pray that God would advance his kingdom and claim the souls of his church throughout all time. That's why we win. That's why we pray. You think about it in a military sense. If you knew that your headquarters had been conquered I suspect you wouldn't be sending him any more messages. If you knew that the center of gravity of your enemy uh, had been taken, uh, again, you, you probably wouldn't pray. Uh, in many cases, David was the center of gravity of uh, the armies of the kingdom of God upon the earth. Uh, David is protected. He's the anointed of the Lord. Jesus Christ was a center of gravity of the spiritual forces of the kingdom of God. Uh, he was in the battle, but he could not be defeated because of who he was, the greatest Messiah of all time, who wins all victories all the time. 
Sometimes in modern day warfare, a capital city is the center of gravity. Our capital city is Jerusalem in the heavenlies. It cannot be taken by the forces of evil. It's impenetrable to them, inaccessible to them. Thank God, because it means we cannot lose. Our capital city, Jerusalem, will stand forever. And by the way, remember the words of the Apostle Paul, she is our mother, protecting us, watching over us. Again, it's why we pray. Now, beyond uh, the Son of God praying for us, that we would be sanctified in the truth, the Spirit prays for us. Again, we're looking at examples of prayer. First part of Psalm 20 is the congregation in prayer. Uh, but we have the Son of God praying for us, and we also have uh, the Spirit of God praying for us. One verse, uh, Romans uh, chapter 8, uh, in verse 26, in the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. A, uh, a figure of speech referencing the perpetual and continual prayers of the Spirit of God in deep passion, praying for the church. One of the great examples of prayer of all time, the Spirit of God praying for the success of the church. It's why we are going to be successful. That's why we shouldn't leave our posts, uh, because uh, the members of the triune Godhead are engaged in prayer. And so should we. That's why we pray. So next time that survey comes to you, are you praying enough? Think about your answer. Think about who's praying for you. Maybe that will cause you to pray more. Uh, and we should pray to win because our Savior has won. And anytime you are praying for the success and the victory of the divine cause, you will absolutely win uh, because of our great messianic warrior and the great spirit of God. Why we should pray more. And here are great examples of prayer. Uh, in like manner, we're to pray. Let's turn to uh, Apostle Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. In the final chapter, chapter 6, Ephesians uh, chapter 6, look at verse 18. The congregation is praying, and the Godhead is praying. We're to pray. Verse 18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. There are four references to prayer in this one verse. That's why we should pray. That's why we should pray more. That's why we should pray confidently. Because of the victory won for us by Christ, and because of the powerful intercessions of the great Spirit of God on our behalf, the source of our victory. 
Uh, and we're to pray because, as I have mentioned in application in the first part of uh, Psalm 20, we, we, in like manner, are on the eve of great battle. Look at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. It's the eve of battle. And uh, Paul is giving instructions to his soldiers. In verse 10, the modifiers are absolutely essential. In the Lord and in the strength of his might. Because you cannot stand without him. That Christ is our entire ability in the cosmic battle against uh, the spiritual forces of evil. You cannot stand without him. And so you pray in his name. Uh, the second imperative is, is just as important. Verse 11, put on the full armor of God. Again, the modifier is essential. The armor of God. Uh, soldiers, uh, modern-day soldiers, uh, infantrymen in particular, uh, wear uh, armor about them. Uh, I remember that historical movie, Black Hawk Down. Uh, one of the Army Rangers was preparing to go into what he thought was a, a fairly easy battle. And he did not put the armor... Uh, on his backside, and that's exactly where he was shot. It's a reminder to put on the full armor of God uh, in light of the danger of the battlefield with which we face. Uh, notice again the purpose clause of verse 11, that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. You are not going against an inexperienced foe. You're going against the very devil himself. That's why you should pray. That's why you should pray armed up in light of uh, the nature of the battlefield so that you can stand. Now, notice in particular the order of battle in verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. That's why you pray. Because you are facing one of the most dangerous enemies of all time. The devil and all of his minions arrayed against you. If you could peel back this physical world in which we would live, you could see them armed at the teeth coming for you. So should you pray? I think so. There's another reason we should pray in Matthew 10, 16. Uh, Matthew tells, uh, Jesus tells his disciples, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Now that, my friend, is a pretty dangerous encounter. Uh, 
I didn't take the course at Sheep on, at Oklahoma State University, but I have this picture that uh, sheep are under-armored when it comes to facing wolves. I don't think they can run as fast. Uh, I don't think their skin is so thick as to deflect the bite. Uh, I don't think they have sharp claws. Uh, they are really what? They're defenseless when surrounded by wolves. And so what are you? If Jesus calls you his sheep and you're surrounded by wolves, what ought you to be doing on occasion? How about praying? in light of the spiritual forces arrayed against you. Uh, I, I remind you that verse 12 is an enemy order of battle. By that I mean Paul is telling you what you face every day, every minute of every day, and every day of every week. Uh, when the American army goes to war, there are always intelligence assessments that tell them the nature of the enemy that they are confronting. And in light of the nature of the enemy they are confronting, it tells them how they are to armor up to get ready for the battle. I'll give you a corny example. If you're an infantry division and your intelligence people are telling you that you're going to face an armored division, you better get you a whole lot of anti-tank weapons and maybe a division of American armor as well because an infantryman by himself cannot kill an enemy tank. The point of this text is pray. Four times the apostle Paul tells us to pray, and he also armors us up to get us ready for the battle. Remember studying in the uh, history of, uh, of the Normandy invasion, that uh, the vast majority of American tanks were undergunned and under-armored. Uh, the Sherman tank had a 75-millimeter gun that could not penetrate German armor. And how'd you like to be a tanker in the Second World War in an American tank facing German tanks, knowing that your tank could not penetrate German armor? Well, my friends, without Jesus Christ, you are under-armored and under-gunned, and so you better pray. Of course, I tell you what you already know. American tank losses were horrendous in the Second World War because they were under-armored and under-gunned. By ourselves, we are under-armored and under-gunned. That's why Paul says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ Pray without ceasing. Pray in his name and put on the full armor of God. The final imperative, verse 14, stand firm. Paul is being repetitive, is he, is he not? Why is that? When you face the world forces of darkness, you have a way of wanting to cut and run. Paul says, don't do that. Stand firm. But what's very interesting to me in this uh, mandate to pray Ephesians chapter 6 is uh, Paul tells us what we're to look like as we pray. Uh, notice verse 14. Having girded your loins uh, with the truth. Uh, this is an allusion to Isaiah chapter 11 verse 5. 
Isaiah chapter 11, verse 5, is a picture of the Messiah. In other words, we're to look like him. How do we look like him? Well, uh, we start by believing in him. We continue by hoping in him and trusting in him. But when the battle is long and hard and hot and fast, we are in him. If you are in anyone else, you cannot win, you will not win. And so we put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, isn't it interesting? Having girded your loins with feelings? No, it doesn't say feelings. It says truth. It's my own conviction, and I hope I am dead wrong in my conviction that the American church is giving up on the truth. We should not be. It's one of the only ways you can stand in the presence uh, of the modern-day spiritual uh, battle uh, in light of the order of battle arrayed against you. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 5 is a description of Christ at the second coming. Look like him now in truth. The second part of verse 14 is put on the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, this is an allusion to Isaiah 59, verse 17, that Christ is the great messianic warrior. It's what he looks like, it's what we're to look like. Notice righteousness. It could be the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ, or it could be the righteousness that we engage in uh, as we are empowered by the Holy Spirit in our daily lives. I don't know. Put on both. If you're a Christian, uh, you wear the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ, uh, but continue to labor in the battlefield and the power of the Spirit in terms of doing works of righteousness. Again, we're to look like Christ, the great messianic warrior, as he comes to rescue his people. One of the great reasons we pray, uh, because uh, the outcome of the battle is not in doubt. Uh, we don't hope in vain. Uh, we don't use words like maybe or luck when we pray. You know why? Because we don't have to. Because of who our God is and the victory that he has won for us. That's the reason we should pray confidently in expectation of victory. That we pray to win because he's won for us. And every prayer offered in the advancement of the divine cause will be answered victory upon victory because of who our Savior is. Thirdly, look at the third element of their armor. Verse 16, Ephesians chapter 6. In addition, take up the shield of faith, as well as verse 15, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, uh, this, this is well uh, an allusion to Isaiah 52, 7 of Christ's victory over sin. What does he win for us in his victory over sin? Peace with God. Romans 5, 1. Romans 8, 1. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ. Uh, so we remember peace. So we're at peace. Uh, our battle is not with God the Father. Uh, that's the world. They have that battle and they will lose. You and I have no battle 
because Christ has won peace for us. So that we win by standing firm, we win by praying, wearing the provisions of Christ, and sure of his victory. That's why as a church, uh, congregationally and certainly individually, we should pray more. Light of Psalm 20. Uh, think of it in this way. The congregation, Psalm 20, is praying uh, for King David to win. Uh, we don't have to pray for Christ to win, do we? He's already won. So we should pray for his children. Now that's something we should pray for. Uh, as the congregation, Psalm 20, is praying for their king to win, and we don't have to pray for our king to win, we ought to pray for his subjects to believe and to hope and to trust him all the more. Uh, we, we know that we can be successful in our prayers because Christ prays uh, for our success, that God would sanctify us in truth, and that is what God does for his people everywhere. Uh, that the Spirit, our helper, prays for us. Uh, and then Paul tells us to pray. Uh, we pray in light of the congregation, Psalm 20. We pray in light of Christ, our victor. Uh, we pray as well in light of the Spirit, our helper. And then Paul tells us to pray. And then he gives us the means, does he not? That secures the victory. We are armored up in Jesus Christ. And our prayers offered in the advancement of his cause will always be victorious. What a great reason. No, what great reasons, plural, to pray. So next month when you get that survey, and they ask you, do you pray enough? Answer in the affirmative. Uh, in light of the congregation, Christ our victor, the spirit our helper, the commands of the apostle Paul, in the fullness of the realization that Jesus Christ our savior has armed us up with his own implements as the great messianic warrior telling us what we're to look like in the battle and why we will prosecute it in utter victory uh, because of the cross. And so my hope this morning is that we will pray more for one another uh, and may God bless us in that great ministry to one another. Amen.